This episode of the Edible Alpha podcast was recorded as part of Edible Alpha Live back in December. Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. So Gary, I see Gary, um, Gary and Leilani. So Gary Zimmer and his daughter, Leilani Zimmer-Durand are going to join us. Leilani, are you in your basement? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I've had a cold this week, so I thought it'd be best if I was not in the same room as Gary today. Oh, yeah, with your dad. That's probably a good thing. Yep. And Gary is is coming from a different place. So there's Gary. So um, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I interviewed you for the podcast really fairly early on, I want to say a couple of years ago, Leilani. Yep. So you, you um, shared part of the story of of Midwest Bioag, but I would love um, to go back to the beginning, Gary, when you first started Midwest Bioag. Like, you know, tell us tell us about Midwest Bioag, but go back to the beginning. Yeah, I was actually teaching at a tech college in Minnesota way back in the 70s, and I got introduced. I'm a dairy nutritionist by training. I introduced to soils and the impact of putting different minerals like calcium and sulfur and trace minerals on alfalfa and changing the feed. And so the question started is, what would ideal feed from a dairy cow look like? So way back then in Wisconsin in the 70s, we had 32,000 dairy farms. Now we're yeah. down to seven. And so uh, I moved back to Wisconsin from Minnesota and we just started out here. Uh, I think as a company, we had a, a plan and a mission and it was to really take dairy nutrition to the soils. In those times, it was the 80s. Interest rates were, we started in the early 80s, were, you know, 15, 18% and farmers are really struggling. So then, all right, let's grow more and buy less. And so that was our mission. So we had an, a window opening and an opportunity. And of course, uh, back then I started out as a consultant. Well, first of all, the farmer's money was tight and they're used to buying products and I couldn't get what I wanted. And so that's how we got in the fertilizer business. And of course, you got your dreams and your visions and you're 40 years old and you, you tackle things. If you think back, you say, wow, how did we ever pull that off? But Right. Like we say, like, if I knew better, I never would have done that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. And so, uh, so we had a couple of things going. I, first of all, I was an educator. And so I didn't know how else to do this, but based on education. So in the beginning, I forced the farmers to go to a three-day class and I made them pay to do that because I didn't have any money. And then we started, uh, well, farmers weren't used to that. They were used to lots of free advice and people sell them things based on that advice. So then we built, that's how the books got going and everything. So we built this company around education and dairy nutrition and taking dairy nutrition to the soils. And we had a plan in the beginning. It was, uh, we were going to have 10 consultants each working with 40 dairy farms and that was our business model within three or four years we reached that model yeah. and uh i said ah and then we said now what now what well, i took a year and i thought about that and said now what because it wasn't just dairy farming anymore we got involved in a system of farming that mm -hmm. was just no one else was doing it there was nobody had the products we had it was nothing so i said uh from now on, I said, I'm not going to limit myself to a little box. I said, now I want to work at changing agriculture in the world. Mm -hmm. In order to do that, I have to write this book and I need to own a farm. And that's how I really just wanted a farm. It's what I really, you know, it was really farm. because you wanted a farm, right? Yeah. 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 The, book, the farm was a lot easier to buy than writing the book. I can writing the 10 book. Years. It yeah. took 10 years. It took 10 years to write the book. Did you uh, start writing it without Leilani or did Leilani... Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, she wasn't, she was over in Hawaii at the time. So I actually uh -huh. started with Dr. Harold Willis who was a professor out of Platteville and uh, he worked with us for a while because we never had much of any, any money. Everything was really tight. And, you know, we, we didn't, uh, we didn't get any outside capital money from anybody. It was all personal finances. In 1983, 25% of the fertilizer companies went broke. You think I could walk into a bank or into an investor and say, I want to start a fertilizer company. You see how far I would have gotten? Gotcha, nuts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that would have uh, worked. Personal guarantees and starting from scratch and getting a lot of people to buy into what we were doing. And they were uh, our, our sales reps were a lot of farmers themselves or their mm -hmm. a, a family farm operation where maybe the dad would start getting involved. And that's how we grew the business. But it was easier in those days. But I also have to admit that I we were three years behind on our property taxes. Uh, we didn't <laughs> have any insurance. Uh, you know, <laughs> we had a little farm in the country. So it was really a struggle. But we found on a kind of a special spot that wasn't being addressed. Well, now you look at it today, there's everybody's brother wants to get in this game called, I call it biological farming. Now it's regenerative or whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it. But it's a system of farming going after soil health and other minerals. And whether you're a vegetable farmer or you're a dairy farmer, it's still about growing nutrient dense, high quality food. And then either whether it be cows perform well in it, but so do humans. So that's how yeah. we kind of got started. In the beginning, it was just Wisconsin because then the business kept growing and growing. And we made a lot of mistakes along the way. Don't get me wrong. It was never, I'm, I'm a dreamer kind of guy. Every dream didn't work out. Let's put it that way. Right, we got into, right. into manufacturing because we couldn't get what we wanted. And I, I wanted to have a homogenized minerals hooked with carbon. Well, back in the 80s, whoever heard of that, you know, it was right. kind of thing. I just met some unique people along the way and there's some really good people and my mind was always opening to listening. Yeah, that's awesome. And Leilani, when did you get involved? Yeah, you know, I was always kind of around the company when I was growing up, but I started working there um, early 2007, I think okay. it was, I came in. So the company had been around for a while um, yeah. and was going through some changes at the time. I took over the research program when I came in and then right. started doing some writing and speaking with Gary. Um, yeah. 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 So do you write together now? We have certainly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not as much right now. Uh, right. Undertaking book projects is a lot of work. <laughs> so there's not oh, a book really? written at and, the moment. And yeah. if anybody, biological farming is a dense book. Like this is not, this is not like bedtime reading for most people anyway. <laughs> you're, you're right about that. So the first book was 360 pages. So you got to read a page a day. And at the end of the year, you'll have it all figured oh, out. Oh, there you go. I had the wrong approach. I was trying to just sit down and read it. Forget that. <laughs> well, then, then Leilani did that one called, uh, it was called uh, Advancing Biological Farming. It really should have been yeah. called Practical Biological Farming. Then, then we redid that first book and now it's five and some pages and we took a whole bunch of chapters out. But that's after 20 years of following Whoa. the world. I got shipped yeah. all over the world when that book came out and I got yeah. to see a lot of things and, and observe a lot of things. So now I, I'm not really keen on writing another one. I, I'm kind of I done on it. books. <laughs> You're done on books. Been there, done that. I know that <laughs> feeling. So, so you... Um, Early on, you just bootstrapped this thing, right? And then yep. at some point, you when you built the factory, did you, um, it, it, what is it, in Blue Mounds, right? That's yeah, headquarters. Yeah, yeah, in Blue Mounds. So at that point, did you have debt financing at that point? Everything was always debt financing. So debt we leased finance, a facility yes. down in Illinois to start with, and then we moved up to Wisconsin, and we bought an yep. old livestock buying station. So everything was pretty crude. And then we built our new facilities in, yep. in the 2000s. 
uh, and uh, we just had grown to that level. We had facilities in Michigan and and uh, uh, Minnesota and Iowa yeah. and Nebraska, and I was in Idaho and Pennsylvania. We were scattered all over the place. Yeah. We kind of brought it back into the Midwest now because the materials we have in shipping. But there was nobody. Uh, and when, when I entered a new place in the old days, it was I was the only game in town. Right. So, so Blue Mountains became our headquarters, and we do our livestock minerals there also, and then we do okay. our fertilizers. And we have different places we manufactured, and and you know I guess everybody that starts a business here, you got all this energy and passion, and and uh, I couldn't have got anything done by myself because I was dreaming all over the place. Like Leilani is the one that sat down and and made sure those books got done. That's why it took ten years because I, I was focused on everything else. But, right. uh, you know, that was uh, so everybody's going to have the same issue because I'm in my mid 70s now. How do you transition this business and right. how do you move it forward? And, and so we looked at all kinds of uh, struggled for that. And I said, we brought on financial partners. I got involved in a project. I still think it's going to mm-hmm. revolutionize agriculture as we know it. And that's these large farms that we allowed to happen that don't have a very good nutrient management plan. Right. We need to get rid of those nutrients out of that farm off that land. Yeah. Dane County is a good example, along with Kiwani County and others, is to make fertilizer on the back of an anaerobic digester. Mm. And we did that down in Indiana. And, I, and we got the concept in place, but now somebody else is doing it. So as, as life goes on and, and to try to find a way to transition the business was, was, is a, sure. was another struggle you don't think about until you get old. Yeah. Well, and and it's an interesting thing to bring up because one of the things that happens when you have when for these companies, I tell people you want to think through with bringing in investors and partners because they they need an exit. Like they're not like you who is in this for for the long, you know, haul, right? They're they're in it as an investment. And so it changes the dynamic of things. It's not bad or good. It's just different, right? And and exit and transition is a whole nother thing right like when we did Tara's way because I brought in impact I brought in investors and we knew we were going to sell from the beginning right it was that it's a different mindset right um and you've been at this for a long time you've been at this what 30 30 years yeah just close to probably getting close to 40 now yeah getting close to 40 so people people don't know that you are also one of the largest your family is one of the largest organic farmers in our state too so you you have a farm too Yes, and then uh, that was always because uh, it was hard to get the farmers to test out things. It was very hard. Uh, university research, I made an attempt at that way back in the 90s, but see, yeah, they well, don't that- do systems research. And I wanted mm-hmm. to do systems. And they said, well, you got way too many variables. And I said, no, no, I got one variable, your system against mine. And they mm-hmm. didn't like that yeah. answer. <laughs> they didn't like that. <laughs> so they wanted to know if zinc was part of my success or adding the extra calcium. So anyway, right. that's why the farms came about. My own farm, I could demonstrate and test out and do things. So then I didn't expect uh, Leilani's my oldest daughter. My other two children are involved in the farm. We right. still have a, a dairy farm, which is really kind of interesting because uh, uh, we used to milk 300 cows and have 600 acres. Now we milk 80 cows and have 1,500 acres yeah, of farmland. So we're cash croppers. And my son sold out to my daughter and my daughter took over the dairy herd. We're trying to say that dairy farming should be a, how do you make a life out of it? So we're seasonal. Uh, mm-hmm. We're all 100% grass fed and we milk once a day. So now nice. you can still have a farm and have a living out of it. So right now the cows are all we calve in August and September. And so now mm-hmm. they're milking just once a day. And it's kind of a uh, next summer they'll have July and August off. So it's kind of a way to have a life and still have a dairy farm. 
Right. And then the cash scrapping thing, we really changed that on our farm. And that's how I could bring concepts forward to other farms is do it myself. Right. Or my son do it. We're one year rye and soil building. And then we're one year corn. So it's a rye soil building corn. And our soils are Attention. really changing. So now we got a big pile of rye with no market. So I'm involved with this group called Rye Revitalization, starting another business. We're taking a, one of our buildings, an old cheese factory on our farm, and we're making it into a processing plant to grind rye for distilleries and flowers uh-huh. and other things else. So now we're, now I got. So this <laughs> is the other thing about you, Gary, is that you have done, you've been instrumental in creating lots of, of, processing, little processing businesses, right? You've been supportive of that in a way that I wish we had more entrepreneurial people doing, right? I think that's why the flower man. Before the rye. Actually, I heard about another one recently. So you may have three. I don't know. How many other deals are you working on, Gary? Oh, gosh. I'm trying to slow down and and, and get rid of, they turn them over to the next generation kind of thing. (laughs) So Leilani, here, are you going to start this or are you going to take over <laughs> some of these? Or No, no, no. I was involved in one of those processing businesses and that, that was good. <laughs> that was enough. Yeah. <laughs> right. Meet the black earth meat thing and now yeah. carnivore. That's done well at conscious carnivore. Yeah, the conscious carnivore is doing well. Yeah. 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 I think the other thing, yes, right. It's not always easy now like the flour mill because we didn't have maybe the struggle with that. That was Lonesome Stone Mill and Gilbert mm-hmm. was involved. And now that's going to go up to. Uh, John and the webkins. Yeah, and the webkins are gonna are gonna um, present today. Yeah, you yes. were part of you were part of um, incubating something wonderful there too. So yeah. yeah. So now the little flour mill is going to be uh, tortillas uh, and yeah. uh, the sabatas, and I think they've been visiting with you, Heidi and Julian. Yeah. And so I think there's another business going to be started, and and now we got another one. We do. Uh, seeds with fertilizers for deer plots. So I got I got a lot of offshoots. I got my hands in a lot of pots. Leilani and I are it. starting a consulting business. So yes, I'm not quite done yet, even though I but I, I want <laughs> so, someone else to run them. So here's the deal, Gary. I hope when I'm your age that I have as much energy and impact as you've had you have right now. I Seriously. do have a lot of energy. I am, you know, that's right. I wouldn't, how old would I be if I didn't know how old I was? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, Sam, that is a really good question, actually. So, all right. What do you two see for regenerative ag in the future? So, Leilani, I'll let you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly it's becoming more part of the conversation, right? You see soil yeah. health discussed everywhere. You see regenerative ag and you know, these big food companies and things want to be part of regenerative ag, how they define that, right? The devil's in the details. I think some of it is like so many things, there's greenwashing out there. Um, And so having more of a push to get farmers to really adopt those on-farm practices that make a difference, you know, it kind of has to go that direction, whether it works out that way, I don't know. I mean, when you have Walmart and General Mills and all those big companies saying we're supporting regenerative. Right. And then you look at the size of their supply chain. Does it really come down to making much of a difference or do they maybe throw on a cover crop every couple of years and say, Hey, we did something. I don't know. Right. 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 You know, and a part of me though, the speed at which we have to, we have to take carbon, you know, sequester carbon. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like we get, 
I don't know, we get tied up in this, in the pursuit of perfection and then nothing happens. Right. So like getting people who are farming 10,000 acres to do something is better than doing nothing. Right. And Gary, when you started Midwest Bioag, you thought you were, you told me this once that you thought you were going to work with all kinds of little organic farmers. And now you work with the biggest farms in the world. Right? Yeah. And that's kind of hidden. I got right now, Leilani and I are our consulting thing. We got not that we're searching them out. I'm going out next week on a 16,000 feedlot operation trying to make uh, fertilizer out of their uh, yard scrapings and put some minerals with it. And that was why I said this regenerative thing. I think this carbon sequestering, as we learn and learn and look at more things, see, I think it's going to get down to, does just going no-till sequester carbons? And the answer is probably not. Does right. just doing cover crops sequester carbons? I think it's really the soil health. And I said, I got, that's why what we did on our farm just recently, I think someone's going to pay attention. Eventually we have really radically changed. I think we're going to come down to the conclusion that living live plants and roots, and that's where this rye comes in, this rye revitalization. Mm -hmm. and, and there's all kinds of companies right now. There's a couple we're looking at that got certain biology that we could add to have a certain function. But right, what's the living right. factor on real life? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe if you add a certain organism and the conditions aren't right for it to thrive, why would it live? And so there's still a lot to be learned. But yeah, some of these big players and some of these people, I think if they get rewarded for carbon sequestering or carbon mm -hmm. building, you know, and uh, uh, so I, I think there's an interest there. And I think there's also an interest in trying to connect to get into a, 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 a different marketing site. We still work with a lot of organic farms. Well, of course you do. Of course you do. So you, it sounds like grazing is going to be um, it has a has a positive impact too, right? Pat, perennial pasture grazing. Yep, and I think there again too, we can't violate the principles of the cow. So anything you add besides the grass it eats is mm -hmm. what's missing in the grass. And right. So the trouble is energy, and then you try to get this digestibility thing. Like our dairy herd doesn't produce near the milk it did when we gave them grain, but the right. quality of that and the health of that, and uh, we got all these acres in southwestern Wisconsin that's not suited to growing it, doing anything right. but pastures and forages, and so it fits in our farm to have that smaller dairy farm. And I think the nutritional value and the quality of that, I think the consumer is going to want it. I was just earlier this morning on a conversation in Hawaii about some dollars on Kauai about all grass-fed beef, but they don't have the quality of grass to even finish the beef. And so they're trying right. to put alfalfa in there, but I'm not sure that's the right thing to finish cattle on. But right. anyway, right. that's Hawaii. And so I think there's a learning curve here also. And I think there's a nutritional value. But if you have, say, I'm going to have my cattle on pasture and they're starving to death because of lack of nutrition or lack of mineral balance and the lack of the right species of plants, I don't think that's what we want to consume for food either. Right. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, so what's in the soil is what we end up eating, right? Yeah. That's where this whole mineralization took place. And then to get this healthy soil, mm -hmm. see, the rotational grazing is if you're going to have cattle that are going to perform, you almost got to graze it when it's about a foot tall or knee high. And that's also how you build soils. So the two go together instead of just yes. turn the, open the gate and turn cattle out there. So there's another, oh, there's a lot of things to be learned yet. I'm, I'm actually excited. I actually welcome a lot of people to get in this business. I don't need the road by myself anymore. And yeah. I, I don't have it anymore either by myself as other people jumped into the game. But now it's at a spot, like I said, it's expanding. And we do have to bring in the large farms. I was pretty anti-large farms for a long time. And I realized yeah. that if we don't get on the big farms, uh, we're not going to change the planet. We got right. to get, get everybody. Right. You're kind of with me on that, right? Like, I think we need everybody. The more people we can get engaged, the better. And of course, the gold standard, we would, you know, might look different than the less than gold standard. I don't know. 
What else do you see coming for, for regenerative, the two of you? Well, I would say I'll let Leilani go second on this one. I, I see for the regenerative thing, I, I think uh, people are going to put a demand on what we're doing to our environment, I think, out here. And so this regenerative thing, they're going to have to be, yeah, reduce their chemicals thing. There's chemicals, they're not, new ones aren't coming along every day in this biotechnology. If we don't get the soils healthy and mineralized, we're, we can't get rid of the pests and things we use and put on our food that we have to consume. And I think with social media and all the things out here, I think this regenerative is really going to be about uh, not only saving our, our planet, we can't let all this soil run away. And like I said, just no-till corn and beans is not is not the answer. And I, mm -hmm. so I think regenerative is going to be looking at we got to develop markets for something besides corn and beans, and uh, we got to come up with this system to save our soil and get cleaner farming. And I think that's gonna it's got to come. Social media and the young people are going to have to drive this thing. Yeah, and Leilani. And I think yeah, some of the external pressures too on water quality and climate, right, on carbon sequestration in soils, if we can yeah. get more support out there, like the carbon trading markets we have right, right now in California, we get more support for things for farmers to do. You know, it's a hurdle for them. It's sure. taking a chance. It's doing something they wouldn't normally do. They don't necessarily want to take on all of that risk. So mm -hmm. if we have support, you know, monetary support through carbon trading, through government programs to help them adopt practices that improve water quality, that add more species to their crop rotation, things where there's financial support for them to change some of their practices, I think that's really going to help move the needle a lot more. Yeah. And, and you know, when, when it's agriculture, everybody thinks about financial support, they immediately go to the federal government and USDA, like, what is USDA going to do, which is how, how the change in the administration could be, could be instrumental, right, coming mm -hmm. into a different administration. Um, but then there's also like private markets, right, that are evolving, right, mm -hmm. right? Like it's it's suddenly companies have, have like woken up to say, wow, you know, we could use agriculture as a way to um, mitigate some things. And we never thought of agriculture that way. So phosphorus runoff is one too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. There's a lot of concern, especially right in Madison here where we are. Um, right. Because of our lakes. And so then there there are a lot of activities around helping farmers find ways to reduce their phosphorus runoff. Right. You know, through a lot of different channels. Right. Right. Removing phosphorus from the water, putting less of it on, managing yeah. manure differently. And so there's yeah, there's definitely a lot more support out there for some of these changing. And practices. there's financial support, too. I yes. think people don't realize that. I'm not sure. So so Marie from Brick Cider um, is she won't talk about this because she's going to talk about bricks, but she works with farmers here um, 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 in Dane County because our wastewater treatment plant um, has a program that will pay for um, um, pay farmers if they do things that, like you, you said, that reduce mm -hmm. phosphorus runoff. And so suddenly these practices are generating income for farmers, right? And that's right. like, whoa, that's a game changer, mm -hmm. right? So do you think that'll change your business, Gary, moving forward? Yeah, I think what's going to change out here, like you said, see, see this regenerative agriculture, if you see, everybody's got a different image of what that is. It's like right. I called it biological. 
yeah. biological farming is what we were calling it because I wanted people to focus on the biology, not just the chemistry. Yeah. If you truly say, what is regenerative mean? It means that like now if you come and look at our farm and, and uh, it's the resilience that we're building in. Actually, we're selling mm-hmm. our irrigation equipment. We don't seem to need it anymore. Well, it rains all the time. But besides... Right. Soil- <laughs> we have more rain out here now. That's our climate change, right? <laughs> yeah, and the phosphorus yeah. doesn't get in the lake because it leaches into the lake. It runs off and that means soil structure. That means we have right. regenerated those soils enough so the water can soak in and the, the root masses within the ground. I think roots are the solution and this loose crumbly soil structure is, has to be the end goal of regeneration, whether you call that soil health or whatever you call that. Right. And that's what's gonna stop the runoff. Now, the other thing is we got going on in this country. I think this energy thing is really kind of exciting. I'm in the car market right now looking for my hybrid, but mention these electric cars and things, they still take mm-hmm. energy, but is, is the ethanol gonna be needed anymore? And the fossil right. fuel things cut down. So why, how can't we utilize that land better instead of uh, growing Raising things? Raising corn, right? Yeah, can't we grow? That's why this small grain and rye to me is the king of what's going to really be the thing, the solution. More cover crops with rye. What else can you plant? I went by a farm yesterday planting rye. And it's now mm-hmm. the, the 7th of December. He was planting rye. There's, what else are you going to plant this time of the year? So that'll now be there in the spring. And that's going to grow a massive root system. And that's where that, uh, the parts of the, the root system, that suburban that's created by the roots. So years ago, we thought carbon was sequestered or built in the soil by adding complex carbons. And then they came along with liquid carbons from the exudates from the plants. And now we're looking at the carbons that are stabilized that are being built by the roots. So if we double our root systems in soil, and that's why you're looking at companies that got biology that double root systems. We're looking at what kind of land would it take to double your root system. And that's why I've kind of always been a believer in strip tillage, but you can't have a root double in hard, tight, packed ground. So you got to once you understand more of the principles and, and we understand what really sequesters carbon and what really builds resilience mm-hmm. into soils and what really is regenerative, then I think we're, we're heading in that direction. But it takes a lot of people working in a lot of areas and everybody's got their story and their product to sell. Right. Of course. Of course. So, so, you know, the thing about podcasts is that people will listen to podcasts. So my son is like this, he's a millennial. Right. And he's like, okay, so I always speed it up. I'm like, I listen to them at two X time and I'm going to say, okay, so I dare you to put Gary Zimmer on two X time because because you're already on two X time. Yeah. Yes. I've been accused of that a time or two. People have said that to you before, but that's because you have a lot to say. I mean, and, and the, the perspective that you have after having been in this for as long as you have and Leilani too is, is incredible, right? We do get wise as we get older. Um, You do tend to, to hang out on the, the, um, the cutting edge of things, if not a little bit on the bleeding edge at times, right? (laughs) Yeah, because I think we don't have it, uh, you know, I guess I, with biological farming, I think what we introduced to the fact that putting salts and chemicals on the ground wasn't going to take us where we needed to go. So we looked at a different quality and a better quality and a carbon-based kind of fertilizers. And then the whole system of cover crops and all those things. So that's right. So the cutting edge out here right now, first, got to get rid of some of our old practice. I think Leilani brought it up where we can't, the farmer's they don't have enough money to take a lot of risks. They, they're living really right. tight. And they get the government programs force them to do certain things, which is really right. kind of 
Right. Like, like, like you get crop insurance or government crop insurance. Is rye even on a government crop insurance? I, might be. Now, our farm, because years ago when we started farming in the, in the, in the 90s, 94, we bought our first organic farm, 91, I think we started a research farm. We've never tapped into the government programs because they mm-hmm. didn't really fit organic. And right. we don't, we've never had insurance on our farm ever. And so... Yeah. Uh, and so I, so I'm, we're not really schooled at that. We're, we're kind of we're kind of the odd duck out here. It's not that, right, uh, right. My daughter's right. taking a little of the, the milk, uh, guarantee milk kind of a thing out sure. here as our, our farm. But they do a little bit more now today than but we went 20 years without any of that. And so yeah, because they weren't really rewarding that. They weren't right. really looking at doing that. And I think that's some changes that could really help. And and uh, I think that's why the uh, I said the focus on, on what we need to pay farmers for if we paid them for. Uh, regenerating soils and we defined what it was and I even this carbon sequoia we're going to pay them to build carbon but how are we going to measure what they built and is it really stable so there's a lot of questions out here that need to be addressed yeah got it so I think we can open up for some questions from the audience um Sarah do we have some questions coming in we do have one question from Shala wondering about a little bit more information about the digester technology Yes, um, I guess we're talking about so what we got introduced to, and I got introduced to it numbers of years ago in Utah, is to take a, out of the back end of an anaerobic digester, what you have is that the food's in the cow for 24 to 48 hours, and then it goes into the digester for three weeks, and we take all the easy energy out of it. So what we got left is a bunch of fiber, water, and dead bodies of bugs. So we take the fiber and the water out, we got a really good biological, and I like the dairy farms because they feed a pound of mineral a cow a day, and a lot of that ends up in the manure. And now we add other things to it, and we've had really good results with the fertilizer that we built down in Indiana on the back of that anaerobic digester. So it's really uh, it's really interesting story about biologicals and there's enzymes, hormones, all the metabolites, even out of the anaerobic system. And I always tell people, uh, see, this has been developed way back in the 50s, some of this stuff about uh, what anaerobic organisms can do to the soil. So it's, it's not just minerals, it's a biological, and then we're putting our minerals in this carbon base, and we've had some really good results on the research end of it, but of course, uh, it's in somebody else's hands right now. But So I think uh, all these digesters, and if you get a digester together and take the energy out of it, and then you take along and make the fertilizer, now we can move those minerals back to land that need the minerals and not dump them in the, on the farm that's already got too much. And now we got a nice little pellet that we can we ship minerals from Indiana to North Dakota, and we've got really good results. Now, it was a concentrated trace mineral product. He says, why didn't North Dakota build their own fertilizer facilities? And I think you're going to see that happening out here. So it's kind of an exciting field because we allowed the big farms to happen. We're going to have to figure out how to manage the nutrients. Yeah, and one of the keys to that really is that solid separation piece, right? The manure goes into the digester. It digests, you get the energy out of it. But now we have to get the solids because we don't want to ship the liquids. And so the solid separation technology was one of the keys, right, that really helped us get as much of that microbial biomass into the dry fertilizer as we could. And I think for a lot of farms, you have to be a certain size for that to work. So maybe small farms aren't ready yet to be adopting this technology and making fertilizer off their digesters, but there's plenty of big dairies out there that I think can really take advantage of this opportunity to get the the dry microbial bodies and nutrients off the farm Mm -hmm. um, and make some really high quality fertilizer. Shala kind of added to that. It seems like the small farms can just spray the liquid. And Shala, if you have any clarifications or additional questions, you can feel free to unmute and tap into Gary and Leilani here. 
Yeah, my experience is with smaller farms and it seems like we just return the liquid to them and then they just apply it on their fields when in the past they were just applying the whole manure and the liquid itself is easier to spray and it smells less. So this sounds like you're in a situation where farms need to manage their nutrients. And so you're actually pulling nutrients out of the system and then finding a way to concentrate and sell them dry. Right, because yes. so many of them have too much nutrient, right? It's too highly concentrated. So we're moving nutrients off the farm. Not all of them, you can't ever capture anything, everything I mean, but you can get a lot of the phosphorus and that tends to be one of the bigger problems. Yeah, and I think the other thing is farmers either import or export. And I'm talking about like minerals or nutrients. So you go to any large farm, they're bringing in ethanol byproducts. Half of what the cow gets fed on the farm came off the farm. And so that's why you start to get this nutrient load on the farm. Mm -hmm. You're buying, feeding a pound of mineral a cow a day and you got a thousand cows. Well, at the end of a while, look at what you've done to the mineral dose. And we've done, we have sufficiently cut down the amount of phosphorus we feed the cow. I'd rather have it in the feed. It's much more efficient that way. But uh, so that's why... Uh, a farm that sells hay and is smaller and is exporting things off the farm, they're always going to be struggling to keep enough minerals to have the system work if we don't figure out a way to balance the checkbook, so to speak. Yeah, that's great. We we have a tactical question. Um, Penny's growing winter rye in her annual flower garden, and they were told it would be hard to get rid of it come spring. Well, what should she do? <laughs> yes, and I think there is a, certainly, that is certainly a question. Now, what we do is, of course, uh, we planted the rye now and in the springtime, see if I was a vegetable gardener and a farmer and I, I taught I have some really good friends out in Virginia, they got 50 acres CSA, but half of the farm is in soil building. So now we got the rye planted. In the springtime, we'll spin on clover and alfalfa and then we, we harvest the rye, but otherwise just mowing it and leaving it there and letting things come back up and maybe no-till some radishes or something into it. And so it's one year that soil building thing and then the next year farming and for a gardener and a vegetable thing, you realize your weed control, your soil health, your soil structure, if you're growing lots of vegetables and things, you're doing a lot of extra tillage. So in a flower garden, I have been working with an organic herbicide, which is a eugenol oil from clover thymes and some other things in here that we, our own garden out here, see, we planted the rye and then we'll spray it in the spring and no-till our, our, or just plant our garden plants into it. Uh, uh, you can't let it get very big because it does become very competitive. And so you got to almost deal with it when it's fairly little. Now on farms, it's fairly easy to manage it because when it gets six, eight inches tall, I know on uh, organic world, they want to let the rye get big and roll it, but that's got its issues because uh, it, it steals from your next crop. We like to take it down and, and shallowly work it in if we're going to plant into a rye thing when it's really little. I'm a real believer in shallow incorporating residues and make sure that the water soaks in so we'll run deep rippers through the ground also. So there's all kinds of ways of looking at farming, but uh, that is an issue. Rye is tough and aggressive. That's why it does what it does and it does it very well. Uh, rye to me is king because it's the only thing I can plant in December and still have it come up in the spring. All the other stuff, like a corn bean or a regular farm, what really works? One of the things I like on a farm is just tighten, if you've got livestock, just tighten the rotation. Don't leave any in for seven years. It's going to take so much out of the land. We leave our alfalfa and our forages for our dairy cows just one year, the seeding year only. Now, it's not pure alfalfa. It's a kind of mixture of a lot of things in it for our all grass, all forage-based dairy. But uh, there isn't much that you can do unless you take, that's why to change agriculture, it's a, it's 
what we subsidize. And if, if we just add one more crop, and even if that's a cover crop, and how about going like this rye, this rye revitalization, we're talking about as a food, it's really quite a gem. So that's harvested in July. Now we could grow that cover crop. See, now we can build our soil. To change agriculture is a lot simpler than people think it is. We just need something besides what they're growing right now. And rye is king. But if I had wheat or I had a, great, a small grain I planted in the spring, it's harvested in July. Now we got the next three months to really grow something. I could grow vetches. I could grow sun hemp. I could grow a lot of things to fix my soil. But I can't do it on a corn bean farm. Right, because you need the whole season. I need this. And rye is the only thing left on yep. a corn bean farm. It's the only thing yep. that fits. Yeah. A question on um, the digesters in Dane County keep changing hands and don't seem to be pulling their weight financially. Is the tech there to make it profitable? Yes, I've been involved with the one. I, I live a mile from the digester here in Middleton, and, uh, mm-hmm. and I know it just changed hands. And uh, we're actually actively involved in trying to take the digestate stuff and make a fertilizer out of it. I think these all these smaller operations to get it out of the area, there's some interesting things happening here on the one in Middleton. There's new owners now. And yes, the way it was running, and it was very, because I see they didn't make a value-added product out of the digestate stuff. They were just mm-hmm. kind of getting rid of it. Whereas we add minerals to make a fertilizer out of it and get it pelleted and dry so we can afford to ship it. I think the technology and things are there to do it. So Dane County and there's Gawney County, there's a lot of people talking about this thing. And I think there's a, there's a couple of pelleting mills already in the state of Wisconsin that are on the back end of anaerobic digesters. We need one here in Middleton. And that's why it does at some point in time when you get burned out because you haven't solved your problem, you need new thinking and new people. And I think that's coming. <laughs> It is interesting about processing, right? We're going to keep hearing this as the day goes on about processing. We need like the next level of processing to make a bunch of these things work, right? With regenerative. Yeah. Fertilizer is one of those processes. Well, and you're building a rye processing facility on your farm because you don't, there isn't a place to take it, right? And there's, no, there's not a big enough market and seed is kind of a, you know, so I know there's more seed market out here and I, we grew some hybrid rye this year, which is also interesting, but that's, that's you can't plant that now. Those, that's got to right. be planted or but that we had double the yield on our hybrid rye. And in Denmark, 80% of the hog diet is coming from hybrid rye because when you double your yield, what did you double? You didn't double protein and nutritional value, you doubled carbohydrates. And so mm-hmm. now you got more energy in it. And so, uh, yeah, our, our, on our farm on this costing, the rye is within 15 feet of our cheese factory processing plant that's mm-hmm. growing right now. Yeah. So trucking costs are going to be low. Yeah, <laughs> trucking costs are going to be low. Yeah, there you go. There you go. A question here for you guys about um, how does hog manure work in a digester? Yeah, there yes. are digesters out there that use hog manure. We haven't worked with one specifically, um, but I know down in Missouri, they have a big digester with hog manure. Um, they're not making fertilizer off the back end right now, but I don't see why it couldn't be done. That was actually the first place we were going to start with hog manure, but actually I'm such a dairy guy. See, dairy cows are fed six or seven different crops and they feed fed a pound of minerals a day. Chickens and hogs are corn, soybeans run through a hog or a chicken. So I don't have enough complex fibers and carbons and things in it. It's not that you can't, you can still use it because it's, it's much more soluble energy and you can still do things with it here. But I, I'm really, see the dairy cow has also fed some very unique things like selenium that you don't normally see in the chicken mm-hmm. diet and stuff. And so all those things are beneficial for our crops. It's just that they're given a wide variety of nutrition and a wide variety of crops is why I like dairy, but you can do it out of hogs. <laughs> Thanks for that guys. Another company. <laughs> 
It could happen. Not for me. <laughs> not for you. You're starting to say no. It's good. It's not easy. It's not easy. I know. I get it. All right. I have a question. Um, we've, this event is a lot about being inspired, and you guys are very inspiring. We talked a little bit about um, some books and writing you guys have done. I'd love to hear a little bit about um, some books that have inspired you that you might recommend to the group or kind of what has helped you through your process and doing Midwestern bioag and regenerative agriculture and all of this wonderful stuff. Well, one, one of my big inspirational books was David Montgomery's book um, on dirt. I think that's what it's called is dirt where he just really talks about how humans have abused soils throughout our agricultural history. Mm. And it was just very, very interesting to look at that perspective, you know, the long view on it and how these changes that we're starting to look at now, carbon sequestration and more diversity, it's something we have to do or we're going to end up with the crappy soils that caused other civilizations to have to move thousands of years ago. That book definitely inspired me. Yeah, and for me, of course, years ago, it was the Albrecht papers. And I know Dr. Albrecht was uh, attacked by many people because they thought he was trying to get a perfect soil test. And it was really a misunderstanding. I was a consultant under that group way back in the 70s. And uh, uh, so I got a lot of my training. Acres USA conference has been really good for me. And of course, I've been speaking at it, except this year it was virtual, which isn't very fun because I like to talk to people in the hallway, which we yeah. don't get to do. And uh, <laughs> But anyway, uh, uh, Acres has got, uh, there's been a lot of really good books and a lot of good things and now what it is is that if you read them all at best you'll be confused and so you got to be able to get it down to something you can stand on something that makes a lot of sense now I, in my lifetime i always i was fortunate enough to try to figure out where it fit once i had the base piece in place and then uh, uh, so i think you got to get your base worked out and you got to understand the chemical physical and biological you got to get the base and then say ah where, did, where does adding a bug fit into my farm? Where does adding a compost fit into my farm? Does it fit into my farm? What kind of land do I have? And so I think we got to get the base right first. And so there's a there's, a, there's less books, I think, pertain to the base. Now, there, I see Andre Lewis coming out with a book on regenerative agriculture. You see a lot of regenerative agriculture. They say you got to have livestock. Well, we're not going to bring livestock clear across every farm in the Midwest. In some of these places, it would be a mud hole because it's wet and it's heavy clay soils and it doesn't really fit. But what does fit those kind of farms out here? Mm -hmm. And so this whole thing is unregenerative. A lot of people would say, well, there's plenty of minerals in the soil. We don't have to add any. That'll be a downfall for a lot of people because a lot of these soils need to be remineralized. So when we take on a piece of land, as because we've been at it so long on our farm, we spend the first two years, it takes two years to get a transition organic. We do nothing but soil, but we might spend three to $500 an acre on minerals. And then we start growing cover crops. In two years, of course, Leilani did the study on that. We'll change soils, you won't recognize them. So we can regenerate the soil a lot faster than we can regenerate the six inches between the ears and not the six inches on top of the soil. That's <laughs> So anyway, books, there's a lot of them out here that I think you got to try to fit. Does it fit? Where does it fit? What parts of it? And don't lose fact to the base. There's chemistry, yeah. there's physical, and there's biological. Awesome. Have we missed anything that you guys want to share? I don't know. If you're, what, do you, what is your words of wisdom for the younger entrepreneurs and farmers who are participating today? Yeah, and I think it's, uh, is it harder today than it was we did it years ago? Maybe it is because we could, uh, uh, I, my concern is that it is really a challenge to get into business nowadays. And I'm not 
picking on investors or anything. I realize they got to be in the game, but it's uh, uh, that's also a limitation and a restriction. I know you got to use that money, and and uh, I I kind of feel sorry for him. I, I said my son is now forty two years old, and he bought his first farm when he was sixteen. He married the farm. We never got any grandkids out of the deal. But we no, got no, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, I said he's the last guy to get in the game. Name someone else. You you start out trying to farm today and end up with a fifteen hundred acre organic farm is impossible. So I, I'm concerned about that. So is it specialized? Is it, I'm really big on this permaculture thing. I've been following the Savannah Institute. And I think there's uh, everybody, I heard people joke about the Amish. They're not joking. Almost in a critical prejudice way. Say, wow, those guys aren't very good farmers. They got to make maple syrup and they got to sew clothing and they got to cut mm -hmm. wood. And I said, uh, isn't that just using their resources? Isn't yeah. that just why? So on our farms, aren't there areas that we should be growing specialty crops? Now, we planted some blueberries. Now we're going to do some elderberries. I got one farm we're turning into permaculture. So I think for the young folks that want to get into agriculture, maybe it's not going to be the 1,500-acre farm like my son has. Maybe it's going to be 40, 50 acres that is using every little bit of piece of it and specializing in things that can actually work and stay and feed the community. Mm, yeah. And Leilani, what would you say? Yeah. And so... And I know the agriculture side of it, right? Buying land right now is a huge hurdle, but I think there are a lot more opportunities for food businesses right now because it's just easier in many ways to reach your audience. We have social media. We have a lot more people interested in different kinds of food. I mean, when I was a kid, eating organic food was weird, right? And now right. a lot more people are interested in this and finding alternative food sources like the, the seaweed-based foods that Brie was talking about. Yeah. You know, I think there are a lot of opportunities out there to reach consumers that we probably didn't have in the past. But, you know, the, the finding land as a farmer is a different kind of hurdle now. Definitely. Yeah. Right. Right. Just like just like Zapata's with their uh, corn tortillas. Now they got a real special processing thing, but that's yeah. all social media. Those young yeah. people, that's market and the business is really growing and they make a really quality product, but yeah, they, they don't have a sales force out here selling it. That's it. So which is a thing right. we didn't have years ago, of course. Yeah, no, it's changing. And the consumer is the degree to which the consumer is going to drive change in agriculture in the future is going to be unprecedented, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much for doing this with sure. us today. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all your work, Gary, as an entrepreneur and for all the farms that you work with all over the world. It's yeah. the impact Midwest Bioag has had over the years is incredible. So, and I think uh, that's why my kind of closing thought is it ever brings up my energy and ever brings up my passion. And mm -hmm. if you don't find something in life that gets you excited to get out of bed in the morning, this is, this is because I've been involved with something in my last 40 some years. And I was very fortunate maybe to get in it, but I put a lot of energy in it too. So I, as if I was a young person, I try to find something that drives me some of my, some of my passion. And I see that in a bunch of youth out here. They don't know quite how to enter this game, but mm -hmm. uh, I think that's the thing. If you got enough energy and passion, you can drive a lot of things forward. Yeah. That's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. And I want to grow up to be as energetic as you are. Oh, well, <laughs> that's you my time. thing. Yeah. I, yeah. I got, I got a couple years to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much guys. All right. Awesome. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org. To watch the video of this interview and check out other bonus content, find us on YouTube and Facebook.